this show is to get to the heart of well-being through inspirational stories of everyday people, expert insights from a number of health and lifestyle-related disciplines, and exploration of topics that underpin well-being. If you want to take control of your well-being and put yourself front and centre in your life, then this is the podcast for you. I want you to feel calm, nurtured and inspired so you can enjoy your life and your success. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you know someone else that would get value from the show as well, please share it with them. Join me on this journey and let's live the fab life together. Hello and welcome. Today I'm so delighted to have our world-renowned expert, Dr. Tom O'Brien, with me today. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Tom. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. And Dr. Tom, I know lots about you because I follow your Facebook business page, I receive your emails, but tell us more about what it is you do in your work. (laughs) I read a lot of science. Uh, uh, I rarely uh, interact with patients now. I have a whole team that is trained in functional medicine, certified in functional medicine. Uh, at our website, and my team does uh, 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 consultations by Skype or Zoom with people all over the world. And if they ever have a problem, then uh, they'll, they come to me. I talk to them most every day and get up, updates. Uh, but rarely do I see a patient anymore or talk to a patient and, uh, because I find that I can have a larger impact if I'm um, reaching out to the world on every social platform that I can find and every stage that I can be on, although currently there's no stages at the moment, you know, we're all in lockdown at the moment here. Uh, uh, so I just read a lot of science and, and um, try to interpret it into an everyday language and implement so, or, so that people can implement in a way that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I love about you. Very pragmatic and don't, you do use medical terms, but you explain them well. So that's easy for people who who are not medically trained or don't have functional medicine as part of their certification. And previously we've spoken about your two books, You Can Fix Your Brain and Autoimmune Fix. But today I want to veer off those two topics directly because we've spoken about lots of things from those books directly but talk about gluten and it just seems to be I'm, I'm amazed that today there's so much literature available but yet it still seems to be a big problem in the society so why do you believe that gluten related disorders are a silent epidemic well it's silent because people don't want to hear it you know there are depending on what Um, uh, experts you talk to, there are five stages of change or six stages of change that uh, the first one is basically denial. You know, I I, I don't want to hear that. And with wheat, um, wheat is the most common food that most people eat. Multiple meals every day. Toast for breakfast, sandwich for lunch, pasta for dinner, croutons on the salad, a piece of pie, a cookie, a sandwich for lunch, um, uh, flour in the soup to thicken it up, 
or in the gravy that we're getting exposure to wheat most every day. And if you travel, when you're in the airports, it's very difficult to find something to eat of substance if it's not wheat-based, uh, that our societies um, are completely dependent uh, currently on this food source. And so uh, it's become such a part of um, um, living on the planet for all of us. I know that you're in Australia, and uh, so you know there's a slang term in the U.S. that I'll use. It's it's as American as apple pie. You know that that wheat is just it's it's a food for for humanity, and we all believe that uh, because um, uh, it's the staff of life. Uh, uh, we've heard so many terms for it. It's difficult for people, and usually people have to get sick enough. And when something and everything they've tried hasn't worked, and they're just so sick, and the medications are helping a little, but they're still suffering, that then they might listen. And you know, every disease that we get, every degenerative disease, as far as I know, every degenerative disease is a disease of inflammation at the cellular level, the cell is on fire. So the question is, is it a brain cell or a kidney cell? You know, is it Alzheimer's or kidney stones? Or is it rheumatoid arthritis in your joints or psoriasis on your skin? Um, is it depression in your brain or is it liver disease? So is it, is it um, your brain or your kidneys? And is it gasoline or kerosene? but the cell is all, always on fire. And the most common source of inflammation in your body, every physician agrees with this, for the general public. You know, if you live in a house that's moldy, and you're there 15 hours a day every day breathing in mold, that's the most common source of inflammation uh, for you personally. But for most of us in general, the most common source of inflammation is what's on the end of your fork. And the most common food is wheat, triggering inflammation across the board for everyone. And people have a hard time hearing this, but well, it, but it's the staff of life. You know, I mean, it's in the Bible. Give us this day our daily bread. But you know, the next sentence is, but forgive us our trespasses, right? So, <laughs> you know, you read a little deeper into it, but now we know that, you know, I'll stop being cute. Now we know the science is so clear. It's irrefutable when you read the science. Absolutely no one can question this because there are so many studies now, if our doctors read the studies, but they don't have time to read the studies. But it is without question, every human, every time they eat wheat, they get transient intestinal permeability. Every human, every time. So I, I want to explain that concept. I'm gonna get a little geeky, but so that people understand this. We have the exact same body as our ancestors thousands of years ago. We've got the same kidneys, the same joints, the same skin, the same brain cells. We use our brains more, so we've developed housing and production of food and all of that.
but we have the same physical bodies. What did our ancestors' immune system have to protect them from? Because the immune system is the armed forces in your body. It's the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Coast Guard, the Air Force. It's there to protect you. You know, we call it IgA, IgG, IgE, IgM, different branches of the armed forces, but they're there to protect you. And the most common trigger is what's on the end of your fork when your immune system gets activated. So when our ancestors found something to eat, they'd pick it up, they'd smell it, always first, then they taste it, and then they eat it. And if there was bacteria or parasites on it that they couldn't smell, because it wasn't rotten meat, but there was too many bacteria, they eat it, and one of the jobs of hydrochloric acid that's made in our stomach, you take acid out of somebody's stomach, you put it on a wood table, it eats through the wood. But the lining of our stomach is designed to let acid sit there all day long, no problem. And we have people that have, they've lost the lining of their stomach and they get ulcers and all of that. There's many reasons why, but humans are designed to have this acid in their stomach. What's the acid there for? One of the main things it's there for is to kill any bugs that's in the food that our ancestors ate because they were just picking up food off the earth all the time, that that's how they lived. So they had to have the acid to protect them and kill anything that was on the food or in the water that they were drinking. Now we have the same body as our ancestors, but what happened if the acid in the stomach didn't kill all the bacteria that one of our ancestors on some food that they ate. As that bolus of food, that glob of food, comes out of the stomach into the small intestine, right there, right at the beginning of the intestines, as food empties out of the stomach, there are defenders, sentries, standing guard there. They're called toll-like receptors. And there's a bunch of different types, there's nine types. But toll-like receptor four is right there, just on the other side of the stomach. And it's designed that if a bug, a bacteria, that's not good for you, came out of the stomach, that sentry standing guard recognizes it and says, whoa, look at this. Alarm, alarm, alarm. And then the immune system in your gut, 70% of the immune systems in your gut, depending on the study, 70 to 80% is in your gut. Then the immune system in the gut gets activated by toll-like receptor four and starts firing these chemical bullets called cytokines to kill the bacteria. It's a really good thing. We wouldn't be here if we didn't have that. Now, why am I telling you all that? because we have the exact same body as our ancestor thousands of years ago. So we've got those toll-like receptors sitting there and the, just past the stomach in the first part of the intestines. And now the studies are very clear, very clear. You can't argue with it. There's so many studies that have come out from Harvard and many other places that when you eat wheat, no human can digest wheat completely. and the wheat that comes out of your stomach activates toll-like receptor four. 
your body thinks you've just been exposed to a bug every time you eat wheat, every single time. And you get this thing called intestinal permeability, transient intestinal permeability. So let me explain what that is. Mrs. Patient, your digestive system is a big long tube from the mouth to the other end. Think of a donut. If you could stretch a donut out, one big long donut, that's your digestive tract. It's a big long tube. Now, when you swallow food, if you could look down the donut, you see the foods in the donut. It's not in the body, it's in the tube. And the food has to be broken down into really small particles. The inside of the tube is lined with cheesecloth so that when your food gets broken down into really small particles, think of proteins like a pearl necklace. The acid in your stomach undoes the clasp of the pearl necklace. Now you have a string of pearls. And your enzymes act as scissors to snip, 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 snip that necklace into smaller pieces, smaller pieces, smaller pieces, until you're down to each pearl of the pearl necklace. We call that an amino acid. Now, those pearls of the pearl necklace go right through the cheesecloth into your bloodstream, and then goes off in the bloodstream. Your bloodstream's a highway. It's all it is, is a highway. And the highway takes all of these different amino acids to, you know, to make new bone cells. This is the raw material to make new brain cells, to make new skin cells. That's how we get our nutrients is that the food gets broken down really small. It goes through the cheesecloth, the really small holes of the cheesecloth into the bloodstream. Do you call it cheesecloth in Australia? Yes. Okay. So it goes right through the cheesecloth into the bloodstream. Then your body uses everything. But when you activate toll-like receptor 4, you get tears in the cheesecloth. Immediately, the alarm message that gets sent off, there's a bug here, there's a bug here, starts the chemical bullets that cause the inflammation in the intestines that tears the cheesecloth. And it's called transient intestinal permeability. What does that mean? Tra transient means it doesn't last. It's not a big deal. That's why... Mrs. Patient, you have an entire new body every seven years. Every cell in your body regenerates, except your teeth. Every other cell regenerates. The fastest cells are the inside of your nose, the olfactory. But the second fastest cells are the inside lining of the gut, your cheesecloth. Every two to three days, you have a whole new lining to your cheesecloth. Every couple days. So you eat toast for breakfast. You tear the lining of the cheesecloth. But it heals. You have a sandwich for lunch, you tear the lining, but it heals. Pasta for dinner, you tear the lining, but it heals. Day after week, after month, after year, until one day you don't heal anymore. When you don't heal anymore is called loss of oral tolerance. That's the geek term for it. It means that you can no longer tolerate what's going on here. And now you've got the leaky gut. And the leaky gut is the mechanism. Once you've got the tear in the cheesecloth and it doesn't heal, these larger molecules that are traveling through the gut being snip, 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 
these larger molecules get through the tears in the cheesecloth into the bloodstream. They're called macromolecules, big molecules. And they get into the bloodstream. Why is it that our intestines are 20 some feet long? It's because it takes a whole lot longer to break down prime rib than it does a banana. Snip, yeah. snip, 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 snip <laughs> takes longer, right? Yeah. So you get tears in the cheesecloth. Now these molecules that are being broken down, but not yet, they're still too big, they get through the tears in the cheesecloth, the leaky gut. When they get through the tears in the cheesecloth, and get in the bloodstream, now they're in the highway going everywhere, and your brain says, whoa, what's that? That's not something I can use to make a new brain cell or bone cell, or I better fight that immune system. Fight this thing. And then the immune system in your bloodstream makes antibodies to fight this thing. It doesn't matter if it's tomato, or banana, or blueberry, or chicken. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's a macromolecule and your immune system sees, this thing isn't supposed to be here. I have to kill this thing. I have to get rid of this thing. Now you make antibodies. And that's the person that does a 90-food blood panel to see what they're sensitive to. And they come back sensitive to 25 different foods. And they say, oh my god, that's everything I eat. Well, of course it is, because you've got tears in the cheesecloth and these macromolecules, the food's not bad for you. Maybe it is, maybe not. Right now it's bad for you because you got tears in the cheesecloth and these macromolecules are getting through into the bloodstream and your immune system's trying to protect you, fighting the tomato or fighting the peach or fighting the blueberry or whatever it is that it's fighting. And, not, and that's the cause of inflammation. That's the mechanism of inflammation. So now you've got inflammation on the highway, your bloodstream traveling everywhere in the body. Now here's the next part to this that's so important. The antibodies that are fighting that food, whatever food it is, it doesn't matter what food it is, if it got through, uh, the tears in the cheesecloth, your immune system's going to fight it. The way that the antibodies identify what's not good for you and what's not, and, and what is good for you, is by looking at the protein signature of that macromolecule. It's like it's wearing an orange vest. And the orange vest is just the amino acid structure. And so this, this antibody is looking for A, A, B, C, D amino acids. I'm making up the letters for you. And it's going all through the bloodstream looking for AABCD, which might be chicken. And oh, look over there, boom. And it fires its bullet for chicken. And oh, oh, over there, boom. And it fires its bullet for chicken to fight chicken in this example. Well, the blood goes everywhere. Now, when the blood's going by the thyroid, as an example, the surface of the thyroid facing the bloodstream is made up of proteins and fats. The proteins are made up of amino acids. The amino acids of the proteins of the thyroid facing the bloodstream, the surface of the thyroid facing the bloodstream includes AABCD. 
And so the antibodies, they're going on the highway looking for chicken everywhere, A, A, B, C, D, says, oh, look over there, boom. And you fire a chemical bullet at your thyroid. It's called molecular mimicry. It's a pretty good geek word, nice scrabble word that you can use. Molecular <laughs> mimicry, right? But now your body, the antibodies to chicken are now fighting thyroid. And you develop an autoimmune disease of the thyroid. Just Google gluten and thyroid. So I use chicken in the example, but or gluten and brain, gluten and heart, gluten and skin. And look at all the studies that come up. And I just gave you a PhD thesis in eight minutes or so that takes years to really understand and all of the mechanisms of what's going on. But the big picture is, oh, that makes sense. Tears in the cheesecloth. And that might contribute to my wife's Hashimoto's thyroid disease. That yeah. might, that might contribute. Not every Hashimoto's patient has a problem with gluten, but about 44% of them do. And when you get them off of wheat, they get better. I mean, the, the numbers are huge with Hashimoto's thyroid. And the same example for multiple sclerosis or rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis or hair loss. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what the condition is. That's why there's tw over 24,000 articles now published on gluten and how it affects your body. And so Dr. Tom, that's a real in-depth explanation because I guess it's a systemic impact is what you're describing in the body. That's exactly right. And there's a lot of conversation, like especially, I know I've been tested for celiac and then, you know, they didn't find anything. So what's the difference between celiac disease and gluten sensitivity? That's a really good question. Really good question. The way that we learned about all of this Many, many years ago, 19, 1954, I think, uh, somewhere around there, about a problem with wheat. And it's not just the gluten. There are many different components of wheat. There's some good stuff in wheat, and there's a whole lot of bad stuff. The way we learned about this was that kids in Europe who we're really not doing well. Young children that were emaciated, they, uh, um, their energy was no good, their bones were bowed, their bones weren't developing properly. During World War II, the number of kids that were developing with this kind of condition went way down. And some doctors noticed that. Well, one doctor in particular was very observant. And then after World War II, within about three years or four years, the numbers of kids with these uh, emaciating diseases went back up again after the war. And you know, it didn't happen in a day or a month. It was a few years. But the doctor noticed this and he said, that's really interesting. What's different? What's different now after the war that wasn't happening during the war. If anything, they had less food during the war, but there were less kids who were so emaciated and whose bones weren't developing very well. There were less children like that. And then one day he hit on it. There was no bread during the war. There was no bread. 
And so he took some of these children who were looking emaciated and he took them off of wheat completely. They got better because most of these kids, uh, a, a large percentage of these children were dying at the time. But he took them off of wheat, they got better. A percentage of them got better. That started the whole ball game of could wheat really be a problem for people? And now we know, now here we are 70 years later, 80 years later, 24,000 studies have been done by research teams in every corner of the planet about the problems with wheat. And now we know no human can eat wheat without having this tear in the cheesecloth occur. It happens to every human every time you eat wheat. Whether you feel it or not, the lucky ones are the ones that get gut symptoms from eating wheat. They're the lucky ones. You can't argue, oh, I ate pasta last night. I don't feel so good today. You can't argue with that. If you pull at a chain, it breaks at the weakest link, always at the weakest link. It could be at one end, the middle, the other end. It's your heart, your brain, your liver, wherever your genetic weak link is, that's where the chain's gonna break if you pull too hard, right? So for one person, the pulling on the chain is inflammation. So when one, for one person, when they have a whole lot of inflammation, it breaks at their brain and they can't remember the way they used to or they've got depression or they've just Googled depression and gluten. Look at all the studies that sometimes that's the, one, that's the weak link in their chain. That's where they're going to feel it. Google gluten and schizophrenia. And you see the many studies that say, oh my goodness, look at this. For a percentage of these people with schizophrenia, and some studies say 14% of them, put them on a gluten-free diet and they're off their medications in a few months. And the psychiatrist saying, we can't believe this, they're back to normal. They're completely normal off their medication. And if they eat wheat, they go right back again into a schizophrenic state. Because it's gasoline on the fire. Where is the fire? Wherever the weak link in your chain is. But for every human, wheat is gasoline on the fire. And we think of it as gluten. And gluten's a protein in wheat. It's a family of proteins. But there are more components in wheat than just gluten. So if you're only checking for gluten, if you're doing a blood test for gluten, it may come back negative, but you still may have a huge problem with wheat because you didn't check the glutenins or the gluteomorphins or the amylase trypsin inhibitors or the FODMAPs. So there are many components of wheat. Don't test for celiac disease alone. Celiac disease is how we learned about all of this. And there are still some gastroenterologists who are still thinking the way that they learned in their textbooks 20 years ago, 25 years ago, thinking that, well, if you don't have celiac disease, you don't have a problem with wheat. Well, that's an archaic line of thinking. And I used to be very polite about it. I'm not polite anymore because there are thousands of studies now. And when you tell a patient something like that, that is a, a certificate for a short life because you're increasing their inflammation wherever the genetic vulnerability is for them. If they keep eating wheat, 
Well, I checked you for celiac, and you see, you don't have celiac disease. It's okay to eat wheat. Nonsense. You have to check them for a wheat-related disorder, which may be celiac disease. That's one manifestation, or it may be thyroid disease, or it could be Alzheimer's. Just go to Google and type in Alzheimer's and gluten. Yeah. There's like five or 10 studies on that. And so that, that explains why then often the tests don't yield the thing. But, you know, I think the body is the best barometer often is when you don't feel well, don't stop looking. You know, this is, I think that's the takeout is, you know, get um, the right practitioner to support you to make those changes. May I comment on that prior to your question? How you feel, if you say, you know what, I don't have access or I don't want to spend, I can't spend the money for the test, the right test. All right, I'll give this a shot. You can't like put your toe in the water. You got to go completely gluten-free, completely. Gluten-free and dairy-free. And maybe we'll talk about why dairy also. But when you do that, give me three weeks, completely gluten-free, dairy-free, completely. And don't cheat. And then see. And the vast majority of people will feel better. But how you feel is not the most accurate measure of whether the food is okay or not. Because if the weak link in your chain, like it was for me, is my brain, I had elevated antibodies to three different brain tissues. Myelin basic protein, when you lose myelin, that's the mechanism of multiple sclerosis. Gangliosides, when you have elevated antibodies to gangliosides, your brain shrinks and you get non-Alzheimer's dementia. And cerebellar tissue, and when you uh, elevated antibodies of cerebellum, killing off the cerebellum, those, pe those are people in their 60s and 70s that can't dance up and down the stairs. And there's nothing wrong with their muscles, but their, re propria their proprioceptors, the, their, their feet, how they're planted on the earth, the brain has shrunk so much in the area that controls your muscles, you have to be careful walking up and down the stairs. So I had three antibodies to my brain. You can't feel when you have elevated antibodies to your brain. You can't feel it. So if your determining factor is, well, okay, I'll go gluten-free for three weeks. I'll try it. And you don't feel different. That doesn't mean you don't have a problem. For the majority of people, giving, give me three weeks, gluten-free, dairy-free, the majority of people will feel better. They, they'll just notice they sleep better, their energy's up, their depression's down, the joints are better, they're not having to crawl in the morning to the shower to take a hot shower to get moving. All of that eases up to some degree pretty quickly. But if you have one of the weak links in the chain that doesn't give you daily feelings like elevated antibodies to myelin-basic protein that causes MS, you may get a false negative by the three-week trial. So I just want to make sure that people understand that because what you really want is a comprehensive test. So that's most important. But the idea of give me three weeks, gluten-free, dairy-free is a good one, but it's not foolproof. And I love, Dr. Tom, that you say no cheating and that sort of thing. What I try to say to my clients is 
there's no such thing as a little bit of gluten like there's no such thing That's as a little right. bit pregnant <laughs> right <laughs> because because you do need to do that to allow the, the the body to heal as well because like you say if you don't have access to all of those tests because in some places we don't have access to the same level of testing you do have in the u.s we know that that weed is not the same as it was in the years gone by never mind the environment we're living in so there's all sorts of other factors that we're dealing with but one of the research that i was doing was around um, gluten and osteoporosis and i'd love you to because it's a lot of females who listen to the show i'd love you to just give us your perspective on gluten sensitivity and what its link is to osteoporosis yeah it's really common um, bottom line in the annals of internal medicine they published a paper that said uh, we have no hesitancy recommending that every patient with osteoporosis be checked for uh, gluten sensitivity because it is so common as the cause of their osteoporosis. So I showed that study on the screen in my conferences, and you know, 300 doctors in the audience, whatever, and I say, so doctors, if the annals of internal medicine say every osteoporotic patient just needs to be checked for a wheat-related disorder, which one are you not gonna check? And there's silence in the room. And they said, you know, they think, I didn't know that. Wow, really, is that common? I didn't know that. Because if you get all this inflammation in your gut, the inflammation in your gut, it affects your body's ability to absorb vitamins and minerals from the gut. When you have high inflammation, you have low absorption. So you get deficiencies in calcium, deficiencies in strontium and boron and magnesium and the B vitamins. You know, for people with osteoporosis, the, the traditional approach is to uh, prescribe bisphosphonates, drugs uh, for osteoporosis. You know, the sales representative of the pharmaceutical company comes to the doctor's office and he brings lunch for all the staff there so that he gets to talk to the doctor for a few minutes, right? And he shows the doctor the study, says, look, look, our, our products, our bisphosphonates, that um, here's the studies that show, um, x-rays show there's more bone. There's more bone. And the doc looks at this, oh, that makes sense. Okay, while well, he's eating his sandwich or whatever they brought him. Okay, and then he starts using that medication. But when you look at the studies that have been the follow-up studies comparing hundreds of women that had a particular level of osteoporosis who were given the drugs and hundreds of women who have that same level of osteoporosis who weren't given the drugs, the women taking the drugs get the same amount of fractures as the women that don't. They get the same amount of fractures. Well, wait a minute. But the x-rays show there's more bone on the x-rays. Well, yeah, but there's a difference between uh, the, the bisphosphonates build the structure of bone. Think of scaffolding on a building or think of when you build a house. You know, first you put the two by fours up. You put the frame up of the house. Bisphosphonates put up the frame of your bones. But if you've got this inflammation in your gut 
and you're not absorbing your calcium and magnesium and strontium and boron, you don't fill in the frame of the house. You don't fill in the frame of the bones and you build your bones out of balsa wood instead of oak. And if you know balsa wood, you can break it with your fingers. It's wood, but it's very thin wood and it just breaks really easily. You never use it for any kind of construction, right? That's what happens with bisphosphonates. It builds the architecture of your bones. The x-rays are really clear, but it never gets filled in to make it solid. And so many times, it's the inflammation in the gut that has caused this osteoporosis. So you have to get gluten out of there so that you calm down the inflammation so your body can absorb the vitamins and minerals it needs to build strong bone. Yeah, because I think there's also a fallacy and I was unfortunately on the receiving end of you need to have calcium supplements. And then I ended up with problems of uh, calcified arteries in my heart. Yes. You know? yeah. So it wasn't dealing with the problem. Instead of to go gluten free and stop the inflammation that's going on in your body and the leaching of the calcium out of your bones. So that was quite an, a dilemma for me. So I know a lot of women are in that space. So, Dr. Tom, I know that you ran a, a gluten summit and thank you for sharing that gift with us. So that will be in the show notes for people to go and find out more because we could spend all day talking about this subject. But I wanted to just close with what are your tips for living fabulously? <laughs> yes, you're, yes, of course. Yeah, the Gluten Summit, I interviewed 29 of the world leaders. You know, I, I went around the world, interviewed these scientists, and I sat with Professor Marsh, Michael Marsh in Oxford. Uh, the guy, uh, if you're tested for celiac disease, the report is Marsh 1, Marsh 2, Marsh 3. This is Marsh. This is the godfather of all of it. And you hear him talk about non-celiac gluten sensitivity. It's really, it's, it's a game changer. Hundreds of thousands have watched this. It's free and we'll give you the link so you, you can go watch it. Uh, living fabulously. If you want to live fabulously from a physical perspective, nothing has as much impact as building the diversity of your microbiome, the good guys in the gut. You know, you can't keep having a body that's degenerating and expect to live fabulously. That's putting icing on a bad cake, right? If there is a mental frame, a way of thinking to have a fabulous life, it really is in my opinion, it's a Tibetan word called Maitri or Maitri. I'm not sure I'm spelling it or uh, saying it correctly. It's M-A-I-T-R-I. And what it means is loving kindness and an unconditional friendship with oneself. I read that and I, yeah, yeah, whatever. But no, it actually hit me wait a minute, am I a friend to myself? Do I treat myself better than I treat my best friend? And the answer is no. I was way too critical of myself. Oh, I could have done that better. Oh man, I, oh, I don't look very good. You know, oh, yeah, yabba, 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 yabba. Every day of my life, you know, but I, I heard this concept and it just resonated with me. And the more I thought about it, 
an unconditional friendship with oneself. What does that mean? You know, live your life, be the best person you can be, and just recognize sometimes you're going to screw up. You know, we all screw up. So loving kindness means be kind to yourself. As long as you're not wanting to hurt people, you know, you're wanting to be the best person you can be, and all this stuff happens, and you may bark at somebody, and, but later you say, oh, man, I really shouldn't have done that. Call them or send them an email and say, you know, I think I overreacted. So sorry. And thanks, thanks for your comment and uh, look forward to developing our friendship more, whatever it should be, you know, but loving kindness and an unconditional, unconditional. I'm my best friend. One last thing I'll say, everybody who thinks about this is on the path towards enlightenment. We all want to be enlightened. What does that mean? What does the word enlightenment mean? It means lighten up. Just lighten up, right? <laughs> okay. Awesome, awesome. And you can find Dr. Tom, Tom O'Brien at his website, and uh, it's going to be in the show notes. It's www.thedr.com. And on Facebook, he has thedr.com.english. And you will always find Dr. Tom doing lives, educating, sharing wisdom, very topical stuff. So um, go and follow him there. Gently and lovingly stalk him. I know for a lot of women who listen to this show, they believe osteoporosis is their journey. And we've just he heard, no, it doesn't need to be your journey. You can actually change that. So by listening to more details in the summit, you're going to get more information as well. So that will be wonderful. So, Dr. Tom, I think for me today, what I'm excited about is that there's always opportunity. This is the thing, is there's always opportunity to make a change. Just because you've grown up eating toast for breakfast, a sandwich for lunch, and pasta for dinner, it doesn't mean you have to do that for the rest of your life. There's so many wonderful ways to substitute those things without eating gluten and not eating processed stuff off the shelf, because that's what I don't recommend either. Using more nuts and seeds, you could make some seed crackers. There's just so many ways you can get around that. So if you're looking for ideas, my website is full of ideas and resources, because I know people find it difficult and they do have a mindset that they're giving something up instead of what they're gaining. So yes. thanks so much for sharing the medical reasons really underpinning this. And um, lovely to have you on the show with me today again. Thank you, Dr. Tom. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you're doing. It makes a difference out in the world, a big difference. And for all of you that are listening, uh, hope this helps you on your journey. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And I would love to know what you enjoyed most about this episode. You can connect with me on Facebook by searching for Living Fabulously with Bev or feel welcome to leave a message or comment on my website. You can get the links and any references from this episode in the show notes at my website, www.livingfabulously.com forward slash podcasts. Do you have a friend who you think deserves to live fabulously? Spread the love around by sharing the podcast with them right now. Until next time, be sure to live the fab life. The information shared here and in our programs and webinars should not be seen as medical advice 
and is not meant to take the place of seeing licensed health professionals.